everybody. Welcome to the All Sooners Podcast. It is Wednesday. We stuck to the schedule this week, January 24th. January's almost run right away from us. We got one more week uh, in the first month of the year. I can't believe it's even 2024 and we're a month in. You are watching episode 235 of the All Sooners Podcast. That right there is Ryan Chapman. He's in more. I'm John Hoover in Tulsa. Randall Sweet's going to join us in segment three per usual. All right. A couple of quick pitches. If you caught our series the last couple of weeks on the 2023 report cards, we finished that up on Sunday, and I can confirm that everyone did not get straight A's. Ten and, going 10-3 and three at Oklahoma will not get you straight A's. Uh, Ryan, any any thoughts on uh, the report card series? Did uh, did I thought we were in kind of in line? We were all within like a plus minus grade of each other. I think that's pretty solid by the by the three of us. Or yeah, I, I think that because uh, we've had times in the past where it's like yeah. wildly a, a wide delta, all that stuff, and so yeah, I think that uh, this year we all land at the same spot, which makes it easy to project for what Oklahoma needs to improve on in the year ahead as they head to the southeastern conference which shout out to greg sankey for swinging through normantown yeah. last yeah. night as well it's gonna be fun uh to discuss in the next segment i think um well i pitch this we got a new series cut starting uh this week i think it's gonna start friday but we'll see um what oklahoma is getting out of the transfer portal simple as that uh as, what's the count right now 12 i think newcomers by the transfer portal according to the uh to the, the All Sooners player tracker. Um, what we've got coming up is a little more in-depth look at who these dozen or so new Sooners that have arrived through the portal. Um, we're going to be talking to people who know them from their previous stops. So media people and, and radio guys and play-by-play announcers and stuff like that. People who've interviewed them, people who've talked to them, people who've been around them at practice and things. So Looking forward to uh, starting that. I've already got mine halfway done. I don't know about you, Ryan, but mine are halfway done. I am two out of four right now. I uh, I got the uh, rolling start is I was off Monday, which meant yeah. I did not spend my day bothering other sports writers on Monday. So uh, we've got a, f- a couple responses that have trickled in. Not enough to like knock out one player totally, but we're, we are moving along. It's coming together. Awesome. That's uh, coming out. I think again, uh, we're going to plan it tentatively for Friday. We'll see what else is happening Friday, but it's been fun to get to know these guys a little bit more, get to know each one of them really uh, a little bit more than I thought I've been reading, doing background, doing, you know, interviews and and talking to people. And it's like, really, I didn't know that this is an interesting cat. So we'll, uh, we'll have that stuff out. Keep an eye on for that on Friday. It's uh, it's January. It's um, Brent Venables is out offering everybody under the sun a scholarship, but really, and we'll talk about that in the third segment with Randall. But really, there's not much football news this week, you guys. Um, I wrote a, wrote a story yesterday. Uh, Chris Lowe from ESPN put out his way too early 2024 All America team. People love this stuff. They love it. They love it when Danny Stutzman gets snubbed, second team linebacker, and then Billy Bowman. Ryan, who had six picks last year, tied for third in the country. Three of those went back for touchdowns. Number one in the country, number one in interception return yards and all that crazy stuff. He didn't even get a sniff. So not a big deal, but if they were in the SEC last year, putting up those numbers in the SEC, 120 tackles. Stutzman had better tackles, tackles for loss, 
as many sacks, um, passes, defense, all that stuff. He had like twice as many tackles as the, the guys that, uh, that Chris Lowe put on his first team. And I love when that happens because it just gives you so much ammunition. You know Danny Stutzman right now is going, I had how many tackles? And that dude had how many tackles? And he's first, and I'm second. Yeah, so again, not a big deal, but fun in the offseason to talk about. Yeah, it's one of those things that uh, you, you look at it and it it's further proof that it takes time for perceptions to be washed away, for narratives to change. For Oklahoma, it's going to be the Oklahoma defense. If they go into the SEC next year, win a bunch of games, win a couple of games with their defense, all the national writers are going to watch it, look at it, pay attention to it, and say, ah, look at Britt Venables. He has arrived. Year three, all that stuff. The fact of the matter is, and we kind of talked about this when we got into it with the report cards, Billy Bowman came on strong, awesome as far as the counting stats, the interceptions, game-changing plays, not just counting stats as far as interceptions, pick sixes, hello BYU. But when the passing defense is abysmal, you don't get to be a preseason All-American. Right. It is what it is. And whether you're a corner or a safety, Oklahoma was awful defending the pass last year. It's not all on them. You got to have a pass rush. You got it's a a whole unit. But someone's got to wear it, and uh, we talked about that kind of who do we put the blame on, all that stuff. And I think that that's one of those things that uh, if people are just seeing Oklahoma get shredded through the air, they're not paying attention to the fact that, okay, yeah, but people didn't throw at Billy Bowman because it was probably going to get picked, stuff like that. So I'm just interested to see what year one in the SEC, if Oklahoma has a strong defensive showing, how quickly – those things like perception can can wither away and change and, and reform, and everyone's suddenly like, this is an Oklahoma SEC, Brent Venables. This is now a defensive school. And then we're all looking around and going, sure, it's a five-star quarterback over there. Whatever, whatever. Welcome to the yeah. new age college football. I think you're right in the word narrative. Uh, when you're Oklahoma and you've been playing in the Big 12 for all these years, the narrative is that your defense isn't any good. And frankly, Oklahoma's defense isn't any good, hasn't been any good. We've seen very marginal, moderate improvements in two years under Brent Venables. So that narrative is going to be out there. It's always going to be out there. Uh, let's say Danny Stutzman, two years ago, 125 tackles, sixth in the nation, I think, something like that, seventh in the nation, first in the Big 12. 125 tackles is a lot. Guess what? Their third down defense was abysmal. He was on the field for literally a thousand snaps, 981 snaps or something like that. Uh, couldn't get off the field, had to stay out there playing uh, third down th- after third down after third down. Of course, he's going to get a lot of tackles, right? Last year was better. Third down defense was better. They were getting off the field. Still had 106 tackles. So uh, maybe this year, if he has around 100 and they have a more representative defense, maybe people will. They're going to have to perform in the SEC. They're going to have to perform for uh, – I mean, listen, you look at Alabama's defense, you look at LSU's defense, and they're not all like assassins like every one of them. They're not – but they do have first-round draft picks throughout the SEC, and that's what that's what people are looking at when they make their uh, – they make their All-American team. Five-star recruit, first-round draft pick projected. Sure, he's an All-American, regardless of what his stats are, so – uh, I'm with you on that. I, th- I think you're spot on. The narrative is huge and important for Oklahoma's future, especially going into the SEC. And they'll have plenty of opportunity to turn that around, especially in year one. Uh, it's just going to be something that th- this is why 
I think next year is so important, whether it's fair or it's not fair. Um, Oklahoma and Texas, the early narrative, the early idea of what they're going to be in the SEC will improperly be shaped by what happens in year one. Because in this day and age, we all want to make a snap judgment. If Oklahoma wins a national championship next year, that doesn't mean they're suddenly the Alabama juggernaut. They haven't stacked classes like Alabama. They haven't stacked classes like Georgia at this point. But that's how it's going to be treated is Brent Venables has this thing rolling. Similar, if Texas makes it back to a semifinal, if Texas falls on their face, if Oklahoma falls on their face, they're going to be the – if Oklahoma falls on their face, you're going to hear this all next offseason. It's Nebraska 2.0. Yep. They left the conference. They dominated. They don't want to play with the big boys, stuff like that. You're not going to recruit to Oklahoma. And, and again, it's just going to be one year, but you don't have a 10-year period to show like, hey, Oklahoma made this many conference title games in the SEC, and you're just looking at two down year or whatever it is. Like The more reasonable stuff, not that anything's reasonable in the SEC, is going to be for the birds, I think. And that's something that Oklahoma fans and Texas fans are either going to be really happy with or really frustrated by. Yeah. Um, a little bit of transfer portal news for you. Not much. Uh, Ready, Mustafaraj, the, the uh, what would you count, the third string kicker last year, uh, entered the transfer portal. That was probably our biggest story of the week. Oh, <laughs> kicker enters portal, and people are all over that. Who was Zach Schmidt? No, not Zach Schmidt. His backup's backup. Gavin Marshall was the backup. Gavin Marshall was injured some of last year. Brent Venable said wasn't good enough to take the job from Zach Smith, even though Zach was uh, struggling at times in games. Ready Mustafaraj from NEO out of Atoka, Oklahoma, um, was not apparently good enough in practice to crack the lineup. He did. He, play, he was at OU for one year, didn't play. So he's in the portal. So what does that mean? No big deal, right? It means that it's actually we don't know what uh, Marshall's status is either. That's I'm told that's a little bit up in the air. We'll see. He's currently on the 2023 roster. 2024 roster has not been released yet, so who knows? But what it does is it clarifies a little bit, a little bit of Zach Schmidt, transfer Tyler Keltner, and true freshman Liam Evans. One of those three guys is going to be kicking for OU next year. Yeah, I, I think that's your kicker battle right there. And I, again, it's really tough. It's a weird spot. I don't like just hammering away. Um, it needs to be someone different next year or Oklahoma will be going for a lot of fourth downs because we, we've seen the story. You guys have all seen it. We don't have to beat the dead horse. It's got to be either the transfer or the freshman. It just has to be. It's pretty simple. Yeah, it, it's I, – I know that only Sith deal in absolutes, but uh, Oklahoma's playing games with one hand tied behind their back if the same guy wins the job. It, just, it is what it is. Yeah. I don't – I don't. We, we know this, right? Kickers mentally don't just come out and wobble, wobble, and then they're just money. You know what I mean? Like very, very rarely yeah. – Daniel Carlson might be the only like example of that right now in the NFL of he really struggled at Minnesota toward the end, got cut, and then he's been money for Las Vegas. Other than that, like how many of those guys really happen? For the most part, they get to their second team or their third team, and they've still got the big leg, but it's not the same as always. And then three years from now, you're just like, where did that kicker go? Did he announce his retirement? What? So uh, it's, it's going to be a three-horse race in camp. It's bad news if it's – not changed, I think, for Oklahoma in the kicking game, but it's also not from a lack of Oklahoma trying. 
So one of the uh, one of the transfers we told you about the series coming up about the transfer portal guys, what Oklahoma's getting out of the transfer portal. One of the transfers that I got that I'm writing about is uh, Keltner, Tyler Keltner, um, four year starter basically at uh, East Tennessee State. Um, went to Florida State last year. Did not kick for them. Kicked one extra point. Uh, but talking to the people that I did about him, they're all like, "Hey, I would not be surprised at all if this kid walks out there." And is money wins the job. Uh, true freshman year, they said he needed a lot. Of, they, the team needed him a lot for field goals. He went out there and kicked a lot of field goals. Uh, the team got really good after that, and did not need him for field goals, but needed him for a lot of PATs. And he never missed a PAT. So uh, they, they're talking about uh, killers and assassins and cold-blooded, you know, just butchers, right? being a kicker, walk out there and just kick it through the uprights no matter what. I'm told, I haven't seen it myself, but I'm told that's what this kid does. So what would, game comes around. What The quote that I want to throw out there in the story is, if uh, Oklahoma needs a clutch kick in the Red River rivalry, he'll 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 make it. I'm like, dang. That's okay. This is a great philosophical question. If you want your kicker to be cold-blooded, what kind of amphibian, what kind of reptile would you prefer? Do you do you want to be a salamander? Do you want to be a snake? We know snake around here has a negative connotation. I would like to be referred to as a Gila monster. I kind of sit there. I do my own thing. And if you mess with me, I will put so much poison in you that you will not uh, live to tell the tale. That That would be my preferred if I were a kicker. I think David Stone is more of a Gila monster, don't you? Uh, well, I, I think he moves a lot faster than Gila monsters move, and that's They're not a knock bad. to the Gila monster community because you don't want to mess with them. <laughs> yeah, uh, a kicker might be like a little gecko, <laughs> a little running around, can't catch him, kind of thing. I've got it. I've got it. You want him to be like the the Amazonian dart frogs. Like if <laughs> they're over there, they look great. They're a great addition to the team. The second you need them, you're like, ugh, ugh. Yeah, it, I, I don't want to mess with that guy. You don't want to mess with him because if you touch him the wrong way, you might get poison. Kickers on the sideline, like pitchers, you don't want to mess with them. You don't want to touch them. You just, hey, when we need you, we need you. Otherwise, stay over there. I, I think that's the thing. That's a good call. All right, last little bit of uh, football news for you guys. Uh, football Scoop reported a story earlier this week. Zach Barnett came out and said, Henry Weinrich, I think I'm pronouncing that right, might be Weinreich. We're going to have to ask about that when he gets here. He is uh, Zach Alley's new defensive analyst. Not a huge story. Uh, he was a senior defensive analyst under uh, Rich Rodriguez at Jacksonville State, working with Alley when he was defensive coordinator for two years at um, at Jacksonville State. Supposed to take, according to Football Scoop, it's going to take the same post uh, with Brent Venables, uh, defensive analyst. He was there for two seasons. He was a grad assistant under the previous coach, so he was there for a little while. Previously at uh, Division II West Georgia, he was defensive line coach at Division III Rhodes College in Tennessee, and he began his college football coaching career as a volunteer assistant at Division III Washington University in St. Louis coaching defensive line. So the guess here is that he'll help out with the defensive line, just because he comes from that background, but I, I think it's I think it's awesome when a guy who has coached at Division twos and Division threes and and you know now F, uh, FCS transition to to FBS 
somebody like that gets a job, Ryan, at a place like Oklahoma, and they're they're going to walk out under that stadium, and it's going to be roiling and boiling and bubbling and all that, and he's going to go, oh my god, not that he's never seen it, but at the same time, this is your new home. I think that's awesome. I think it's cool. So good for him. Yeah, it cook it hits a little different when they're cheering for you as opposed to for the other team when you walk in. You know what I mean? One of those things is as the smaller schools get accustomed to and. And for Zach Alley, it's going to be something he's comfortable with Brett Venables, but has, and he's worked with Bates. He's been around, you know, Bates, Chavis, those guys. But anyone that didn't come from Venables or Venables Clemson contingent, it, it just gives Zach Alley another person he's comfortable with. Yeah. I'm interested to see if he's helping advance scouting, if he's just another eye on practice, helping chart everything, as we're in the, we are in the age of data where every single thing that ever happens ever, I'm sure that they could tell you how many. Uh, tipped passes that uh, Rondell Bothroyd had in practice last year for the whole thing. You know what I mean? One of those things. So uh, you need a lot of manpower to make that thing happen, uh, especially as they lost some just general quality control guys as Jeff Levy headed out as well. So they're, they're having to restock some of their quality control. That was mainly offense, but uh, mm-hmm. both sides of the ball. Well, we said it last week, and I'll, I'll reiterate today. The transfer portal is closed, but not really. We'll tell you what that means. We'll tell you what Oklahoma needs, plus what the heck happened to basketball last night. Sooners in the NFL, Championship Sunday coming up, uh, OU's Junior Day is coming up. All that's next on the All Sooners Podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Some social media for you guys on uh, Twitter. You can follow us at all underscore Sooners. Uh, I'm at John E. Hoover. Ryan's at underscore Ryan Chapman. Ross is at Ross Love Lace. And Randall is at Randall Sweet 5. You can follow him for recruiting. He's good at recruiting. He has a passion for it, so follow him. Uh, the website is allsooners.com. We're a foundation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Remember, All Sooners is free. No signups, no emails, no passwords, no credit cards. Ryan, let's uh, let's start. Let's continue the uh, the football vibe, if it's all right with you. Um, NFL Championship Games. It's Championship Sunday. It's I love the Super Bowl, and I, I historically love the NFL. Um, I've I've loved it. I've kind of fallen out of love with it in the last few years. But my favorite game, I think my favorite day in pro football is Championship Sunday. There's so these guys work their entire lives. Their families sacrifice so much so they can be big time football players, and they get to this moment. Right, like all these, everybody on Detroit's roster, and a lot of guys on all three, all four of these rosters, and they're at this precipice of getting to the ultimate achievement in football, which is the Super Bowl. And it's like, God, there's so much pressure. If we could just win this one game, I just love that feeling. The Super Bowl is kind of like two bros meeting on an island somewhere on a on a 
a vacation island and they're they're toasting with my ties. It's like this is Championship Sunday is like a friggin' street fight, man. I love it. I love Championship Sunday. It's the last day we get atmosphere, right? Just because mm-hmm. of the nature of college football is coming this way. The college football playoff semifinals yeah. and championship tickets are so expensive that your diehards, a, a lot of like the the just really like around here, the red dirt, live, die, all that, you get priced out of it. And the Super Bowl's like that to a billion, right? It, it's very corporate. It's a lot of let's glad hand all the sponsors, all the big companies and all that stuff. Whereas this is home fields, the Niners crowd, the Ravens crowd. It's the last time you get that part of it, the whole atmosphere. The Super Bowl is a spectacle. It's probably the better way to say that. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty juiced. I think we got two really great matchups. Uh, you got a ton of Sooners as well. Everything that led by Trent Williams spearheaded San Francisco – that's going to be meeting up in the NFC Championship game. And, and Oklahoma fans, if you're just sitting back and rooting for OU players, really can't go wrong in the AFC Championship game either. Can Mark Andrews get back in and get healthy, ready to rock and roll? Plus the merry band of Chiefs from Creed to James to Blake Bell, all that stuff. Uh, should be a good watching day if you're just looking at it from the Oklahoma perspective as well as dialing in on, on what's going on, who's going to make it, all that fun stuff. I'm going to throw you a curveball here. Um, my favorite former Sooner to in the in the NFL to watch is Baker Mayfield. He's been eliminated. The guy, the guy just – he's all passion all the time. I just really love what he stands for. Uh, so we root for Baker in my house. I think – I'm not 100% sure of this, but I think my second favorite Sooner to, to watch play in the NFL, James Winchester. Deep snapper for the Chiefs. You're all like, who? No, James Winchester, walk-on wide receiver from Washington, Oklahoma. Tried to put on weight and get. He was explosive and fast, and he just wanted to play wide out. And he makes. He, he says, Coach, if I can't play wide out, I can snap. You can what? I can snap. I'm a wide receiver, but I can snap. He goes out there and snaps. Best snapper in the country. 190 pounds long snapper. You know, and he goes to the combine and he does all this stuff, and everybody's like. This is a snapper? This is a wide receiver and a snapper? And he wants to play wide receiver in the NFL. just doesn't work out. And finally, somebody comes along and says, quit fooling around with wide receiver and become a snapper, and you'll have a career forever. And he has. He's been one of the best long-time, long-term snappers in the NFL. And he's just got a great family, you know, tragedy with his dad, former Sooner, Mike Winchester, the, the whole thing. Legacy Sooner um, is just, he's got an amazing story. Now he's got an amazing family. Uh, I think his, uh, gosh, his baby was born shortly after the first Chiefs uh, Super Bowl or something like that. I can't remember. I wrote it a few years ago, but I love watching that dude. Uh, Every time Kansas City punts, which is not often, right? uh, I'm out there, I'm watching. Is he going to make the tackle? Is he going to force a fumble? Is he going to run somebody down from behind? He's a fun dude. Anyway, you mentioned it, uh, Mark Andrews. Uh, trying to get healthy for the uh, Ravens. Hopefully he does. And then on the other sideline, you got Blake Bell, another tight end, right? Quarterback. Sword. Another resilient guy. I was about to say, the Chiefs have a couple of resilient suitors because Blake Bell, yeah. not the long snapper route, but did whatever he needed to do to Absolutely. continue his football career. Absolutely. Yeah, what a great story by him, too. He sprung, uh, he sprung Mahomes last week on a long run. He goes out for a pass and he's like, oh, we're running. Okay. He turns around and starts running, just blocking a dude right down the sideline. So always good to see the belldozer out there knocking people down, which he did. 
Uh, Creed Humphrey, now that um, Kelsey has retired, Creed Humphrey might get back on the all-pro team again because Kelsey seemed to hog that thing for a few years. And then I think he's going to be inactive. He's a third-string offensive tackle. Wanye Morris is the uh, is the other chief. And then in the NFC, Ryan mentioned it, Trent Williams, obviously, a million times to the Pro Bowl, I think half a dozen times all-pro, all that stuff. He's kind of the one of the wheels that makes the the offense go there in San Francisco. And then Bra- Braden Willis. I think he's going to be inactive. He's currently listed as the third string tight end. He's been in and out of the lineup, active, inactive most of the season. But he's a uh, that's another dude that's got like uh, Swiss Army knife skills that he's just going to stay in the NFL forever because he can do so many different things. Yeah, and then you got not an Oklahoma sooner, but Oklahoma connections are plenty with George Kittle as well. Yep. who is another key piece of, of what the mm-hmm. Niners got there. So Bruce should Kittle be did. a fun weekend. Unfortunately, Norman, how, how did he play at Norman? Uh, I, I don't recall. Uh, honestly, it was there a little while and then went with his dad back to Iowa. Yeah. Right? I, I, the timeline, I, I know he, he's enough of a Norman tiger that every year, whether it's Jordan Evans or George Kittle, or now the really popular thing is, uh, Norman High will get George Kittle to do a little video and Trey Young to do a little video before North High, uh, the Crosstown Clash, stuff like that, which is just great for me personally. Uh, you know I love Trey Young. Uh, and so it's one of those things. And, and and long-time listeners of this podcast will know, I just I, – sorry, I can't root for the 49ers and I can't root for the Chiefs. So sorry for all the OU's fans that are on both sides. But I ride with the Raiders, which means go, go, Dan Campbell, bite all the kneecaps and yeah. – I hope that Lamar Jackson gets his uh, Super Bowl appearance. I like Andy Reid as a coach. I know you've got your your opinions of him as a man. I like him as a coach, uh, but I really like Dan Campbell. I've liked them ever since they were on uh, Hard Knocks last year. Uh, and I was just like, you know, because I knew him a little bit as a player. You see him out there knocking heads, and I think he wore 45. He was an H-back, basically. And then you see him as a coach up close camera in his face. And I'm like, I want a coach that's about that. I'm about that. I want to be about that. So yeah, he's, he's an extremely impressive coach. Has there been any hard knocks clip that has aged better than when Dan Campbell's talking about to the team? I leave this and all I do all day long is think about you guys and, and what you do and I've got a plan, and I have a plan for every single thing that we're going to do. I just need the best from you. Like, Has there been a clip that has ever aged better out of Hard Knocks? Because this is like one of the greatest Hard Knocks stories following them through, because typically you get like a lot of Hard Knocks buzz, and people fall in love with like the stories on it, but like Knock on Wood If You're With Me is like banned with uh, anything John Gruden or the Raiders or anything like that, and and. All we see is hard knocks clip after hard knocks clip after hard knocks clip because the Lions are awesome and Dan Campbell rocks. Yeah, and they they were coming off a two-win season, I think, that year. One of the stars of that show was Malcolm Rodriguez, a linebacker from Oklahoma State. I'd say he's a linebacker from Wagner, which is right down the street from me a little bit. Uh, how can you not root from a, a for a linebacker from Wagner, Oklahoma? Uh, that dude's awesome. Uh, and I it saw feels right. It feels was. right. It yeah, just it feels right. Absolutely. Um, I don't care where he played in college. I don't care if he played at Oklahoma State. He was fantastic at Oklahoma State. But you go from Wagner, Oklahoma, 
to uh, the NFL. You're doing something right, and he is. I love watching that kid play. I just looked up his um, the 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 two deep, and he he hasn't been on the field much this year. He's third string, third string linebacker after starting last year. So um, there's also kind of a de facto sooner you guys can cheer for if you want to. Um, guy by the name of James Houston, linebacker from Florida, who said, "OU's not on our level." OU's not the SEC, and then proceeded to take a, what was it, 55-20 beating in the Cotton Bowl. Y'all remember that guy, James Houston? He could play a little bit, but he talks too much. He was great for us. He was awesome. He's one of my favorite players in this game. That was, uh, that was kind of your debut. It was. It was. That that whole uh, uh, Dan Mullen just being uninterested in playing football. Uh, I, I remember seeing that press conference, and when he was laying out the schedule, I was like, have they practiced three times in the last two and a half weeks with Christmas <laughs> and given days? I was like, uh, boys, yeah, <laughs> what is what is going to go down in Dallas? They had three starting wide receivers, two starting defensive backs, and a receiver. Those guys opted out, and then a receiver who replaced one of the starting receivers got injured, and so they had four receivers out for that game, man. What chance did they have? That was such a bad game. COVID. We had just been there like the week before at the Big 12 Championship game. Remember that? It's so- a, I actually was uh, – I covered the Big 12 Championship game. That was the first game I covered with all suitors. I did it remotely, though. I covered it from an OU basketball game, and then the Cotton Bowl proper was the first game in person with all okay. suitors. So. Okay. Yeah, I was looking at some of your old stories today. You, you remember you used to email me your stories before you had access to the system. So I was looking at some of your old stories. I, I don't know why. <laughs> I was like, right, let's not. Let's stow those away. No one I'm, go look for those. I'm unhinged. You did a good job. I was reading your story, but this just goes to show how unhinged I can be. Hey, I wonder what Ryan wrote in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, to be fair, I peeling the curtain way back. I don't think I think I might have emailed you like three times ever. Like we talk via text and, and call yeah. all the time. I for whatever reason, I just email is not something that I commute like I get a lot of emails. I don't often send out emails. <laughs> but you did for those three weeks that you were Yes. Uh, yes. After the system. Yeah. That's funny. I can tell you one story you wrote last night. Uh your most recent story, shall we say. Oklahoma. Woo! Sooners are 15 and four. They went into last week. Uh, well, they were two and zero the week before. So they came off a two game losing streak. They got up to number 11 in the polls, but listen, all we're going to talk about, all anyone wants to hear about is yet another ugly home loss to Texas last night. It was ugly, Ryan, 75, 60, not good. Greg Sankey was there courtside. Every fi- picture I saw of him, he was looking down at his phone. He was not impressed with, Lloyd Noble with the basketball team. Yeah, I'm sure he watched the game. I'm just saying the pictures that I saw of him, he was che- he was probably checking up on the SEC scores is what he was doing. He was like, uh, what the hell is happening in South Carolina? Why, why, why are Kentucky getting dragged? Yes, but uh, that, I thought that was interesting. Um, student section was packed, and they were rowdy. Might have been a little liquored up. I don't know. The arena was full. There were very few empty seats. Ryan, they come out, and Oklahoma falls behind 7 nothing. 18-9. Then Oklahoma's the better team. They surge back into the lead, and they're on the verge of getting a commanding lead, and they give up two uncontested threes at the end of the half. 
Texas starts the second half on a 10-0 run, ends it, I think, on a 19-4 run, and the game's over. What the hell was that, Ryan? It was awful. It was gross. And Oklahoma just got beat up. And there was only one team throwing punches. Oklahoma rebounded. They wobbled. But they never looked physical. They never looked assertive. They looked athletic when Jalen Moore had the basketball, but otherwise you saw Porter Moser basically had to abandon Sam Godwin because he just couldn't athletically hold up. And it was a really just gross performance. And and it's another time, and you can tell this is wearing on Porter a little bit, this fact that every time it feels like he gets a big crowd, Oklahoma falls flat on their face. Last year it was a couple of times. They beat Alabama – They had a bunch of students there for that. It was the number one team. Then they had that game against Baylor where they got the crowd again. When the students were back, they got the crowd again. And then they can't rebound down the stretch, and they lose that game. And the other one that stands out from last year is Bedlam when you thought there was the weather, and the weather ended up being clear, free admission. Lloyd Noble Center is as packed as I've ever seen it. And Oklahoma State embarrassed Oklahoma. And Mike Boynton can't coach. We've seen that. Like, it's... Porter Moser is now 0-5 against Texas. The Horns have won five straight in Norman after last night. Two of those not Porter's fault. Porter's also 1-4 against Oklahoma State. You can't be 1-9 against the rivals at Oklahoma and expect the fan base to be happy. I don't care how good or bad yeah. your season's been. And the most concerning part is like you you saw last night, right? Max A. Smith for Texas, he's come in. He's done exactly what he did at Oral Roberts, which is just torment everybody. He's he was a killer, right? He he's had a good player. Yeah, he had those two threes right after Oklahoma tied it at 52-52. This game was 52-52 with like 12 minutes left. And you're going, okay, buckle up. Here we go. And then suddenly you look up. Aismas hits two threes, including one that I think he knocked down from Okima. Uh, Dylan DeSue has a little jab step three. And Oklahoma's down by eight points. And the Lloyd Noble Center was an awkward silence for the last eight minutes. And it's not the fans' fault. With three minutes left, the whole place cleared, and Oklahoma had no answer, no punch. They looked tired, which is not good in Game 6 of Big 12 play. And, who I've been crunching some numbers. The, the close, where Oklahoma only had three field goals over the last 10 minutes. I'll say that again. Three field goals, 10 minutes. One of those was with 90 seconds left, so sorry, that one doesn't even count. That's how they closed the game. But it erased, it kind of wiped away the fact that it's another slow start in Big 12 play, who threw six games of Big 12 action in the first five minutes, right? So you follow me, the first five minutes of every game, they are 13 of 37 from the floor, 14 turnovers in the first five minutes of games. It Oklahoma's digging themselves deep holes that they have to, to work their way out of, including a one of six shooting performance starting in Cincinnati on Saturday in a 1-6 performance against Texas. They got out of it, but they started the second half slow. They ended the second half slow. And basically, the offense no-showed for 20 of the 40 minutes. I'll have you guys know, uh, go back and watch uh, the Porter Moser video press conference from last night, post-game press conference. My man Ryan asked him the question, you're 1-5 against Texas. 0-5 oh, uh, against Texas, 1-4 oh, against Dojo. Yeah. yeah, so 1-9 against teams that wear orange, basically. Um Porter didn't love the question. No. Uh, He got a little agitated trying to express maybe how they're not related. But, Ryan, tell me, what have you seen in those games besides the poor shooting that you just mentioned, poor shooting and turnovers early in those games? 
does he overthink it? Does he overemphasize it? Does he put too much pressure on guys? This is Texas. We got to be Texas. Ah, we got to be Texas. We got to be Oklahoma State. Does he do stuff like that that we can't see in the locker room in the in the you know practice? Is it just do they get too wound up to come out and play against those teams? I would actually argue it's the opposite. Okay. I think, and you hear this a lot, right? Let's take the OU football yeah. uh, season for an example, right? That whole week leading up to <laughs> Texas, right? This is just like any other game, just like any other game. And we <laughs> talked about it that week. That I think that that gets read incorrectly. I think that what Brett Venables would like is that we need to treat every game like it's Texas as opposed to this is just like every other game. Yeah. I, I Porter Moser is so laser focused, and I knew I wasn't probably going to get a great answer to that question because that's asking to take a step back. And this – Porter's not dodging questions. Go watch any Porter Moser press conference. Porter is truly laser focused on, I have Texas next. Yep. Then next, he's going to be laser focused on Texas Tech. And he doesn't really have a great answer for anything other than what he's seen out of Texas Tech. That's just the way he is. So I didn't think he was going to have a big picture. But I, I think that there's an element of Mike Boynton makes Bedlam a huge deal. It's a, it's a game that stands above the rest for Oklahoma State. When Kansas comes to town, playing Texas play in Bedlam. That matters. And as a result, I would say in the 10 games we've seen, certainly every single loss, which is nine of those 10, Oklahoma is not the aggressor. They are not more physical. They look like they're on the back foot trying to stumble and stay up and stay on the ropes as opposed to to rolling forward. And that doesn't mean that they get blown out of all these games. All the Texas games up until this one have been really close. Uh, Bedlam and Norman, not close last year. Bedlam in the Big 12 tournament was uh, both of those teams, I think, were just like put us out of our misery, but Oklahoma State cared a little bit more. I, I would argue that maybe he doesn't put enough emphasis on it. Now, his first two teams couldn't be physical, I think, if they even tried or wanted to. So, and, and Porter talked about that's on me, it's all on me, one of those things. And so he recognizes that, but. Just from the outside looking in, I'm not in practice every single day, but the way it's just talked about, it's a big deal to play Texas and to play uh, Oklahoma State or to play Texas to play Oklahoma like in Stillwater. And they're talked about the exact same. I I would say if it's one of those things, it's probably more the opposite that because he's so focused on everything needs to be the same, which I understand that mindset, but also you need to get in there and be like, we don't lose to Texas. We don't lose to Oklahoma State. That's what you have to do against your rivals. That has to be your mindset because that's what every other locker room is saying in, in Austin and Stillwater. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I think at some point Joe Castiglione and his staff are going to emphasize, hey, listen, let's do better against these teams. You know, we, We're tired of losing to Texas. We're tired of losing to Oklahoma State. When you could make the argument that uh, Oklahoma's been a been a better program over the last you know four five six seven eight years whatever whatever metric you want you want to use Texas has had some better teams there's no doubt but I think overall I don't think Oklahoma has basketball has to take a backseat to Texas and certainly not Oklahoma State in their current state um, we'll keep the basketball vibe going real quick women's hoops got a game tonight guess who they play Texas number ten Texas they're at Austin. Um, they both finished the conference, the conference regular season last year, co-champs, Texas and Oklahoma, 6 PM tonight. It's on ESPNU if you want to watch it. So check that out. Uh, it's OU's had now five nationally televised games this season. What? Yeah. Get this. Texas is 18 and two overall five and two in the big 12. Oklahoma's 11 and six and five and one in the big 12. Who's in first place? Yeah. 
exactly. So, well, I don't know about first place, but they're ahead. Who's ahead in this race? It's uh, it's Oklahoma. So it should be a good game. If OU wins, it'll be the program's 900th win in history, and they would be the 45th program in Division One to do that. So that's impressive. This is the 50th season, by the way, for OU, OU women's basketball. It'd be a big-time win. Their only loss in Big 12 play to, to a K-State team that had Ioka Lee. Um, so that's – hate that for her because she's awesome. Oklahoma, it seems like every time she's gotten her – as opposed to last year she missed a little thing. Oklahoma's gotten absolutely just torched by her, and then she's missed other games. So that, that just sucks. But this is going to be a big one for Ginny and the crew just because they did – finish as co-champions with Texas last year. They finished as co-champions because the Big 12 does not apply the tiebreaker, the fact that Texas wiped the floor with Oklahoma yes. twice. It wasn't <laughs> close. It well, wasn't close. So right. need, need to get that one back for, for Ginny and the crew. Uh, where maybe it, all the pressure is going to be on Texas tonight because Oklahoma's gotten a, a lot better, found some solid footing in Big 12 conference play, but they're, they're close to the non-conference was a little wobbly, and they clearly – as you would expect, replacing just titans of the program over the last uh, just stalwarts for the last four or five years. Uh, the, everyone's new role, and, and the, it's been a little bit rockier than it was with mm-hmm. Maddie and, and Taylor and, and Anna. Yeah, um, two things. They're, they're transitioning from four, three players who were there for five years or more, uh, and they're not shooting as many threes. Imagine that. Yeah, the, yeah. The you, numbers are down. I would imagine the Golden State Warriors will also shoot less threes when Steph is not there because <laughs> uh, that, that's what Taylor Robinson brought you, right? She, she's yep. an absolute sniper. Yep. All right, let's pitch the softball show. Last week's softball show was quite the hit. Uh, got some good traffic, good numbers on uh, the website, allsooners.com, as well as on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. Ryan's got another one coming tomorrow. Is that right? It, it'll be – we launched this one as kind of our preseason. Nothing's really changed. Okay. The, the first show of the season season is going to be February 6th. That'll be the first. Oh, that's two weeks. That'll be the first preview show. Okay. I'm hoping that we'll have a media day shortly. And whenever we have softball media day, regardless, schedule be damned. Because, again, the All Sooner Softball Show is going to be every Tuesday and Thursday during the season. We will do a media day. I'll turn out a ton of content at AllSooners.com. And then the very next day, I will shoot edit, fire out uh, the next episode of the All Sooner Softball Show is we, we dove into you know the three big questions for me facing Oklahoma this year. Uh, and now I, I really want to get to media day and, and t- kind of take Patty Gasso's pulse of, of what she's looking at uh, before we before we roll out and fire out more just because there are so many new pieces that we haven't got to talk to Patty since, since fall ball. Yeah. Boy, I get ahead of myself on these things, don't I? Also, you, it, it, this is just we get to the end of January and Ryan freaks out because I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Yeah. We're barely into Big 12 basketball and softball is about to be here. Dear goodness. Yeah. We'll get you some help on that front. Um, so there's not much a, a lot of news on softball. One of our biggest stories of last week was Love's Field is on schedule to open on time. Boom. I mean, that's huge. Uh, that that literally was one of our biggest stories last week. Um OU's, what, number one in every poll, including a poll that we didn't even know about? Is that right? Yeah, they're number one in softball America poll, number one in D1 softball. That makes sense. We're still waiting on the NFCA, which is the coaches poll. So they're not technically yet the unanimous preseason number one across every poll. 
They're going to be the unanimous number one preseason across every poll. They were unanimous, though, in the ESPN USA Today poll, which was the most recent one that dropped on Monday, okay. I think. Uh, the days run together, especially with the ice. Uh, Scout the Dog is trying to invade the podcast, just like she invaded the All-Sooner Softball show at the very end as well. So tune in for that. Uh, but yeah, they, they are number one in, in three of the polls. They're number one preseason in the Big 12 poll. They were unanimous in that poll. Remember, guys. Coaches cannot vote for themselves, so if only one other team has a first-place vote, it's unanimous because that means that Patty Gasso had to vote for someone that wasn't Oklahoma. Patty Gasso voted for Texas. That There you have it. People are mad that Texas got a first-place vote. That's <laughs> yeah. the rules. That's how you have to do it. Patty can't vote for herself. Yeah, so uh, again, every coach fills out a ballot that includes every team other than their own. That's why Texas had won. That's why it's unanimous poll. Everyone else voted Oklahoma, even Mike White. Uh, the have not in Austin voted Oklahoma, his words, not mine, uh, number one in the preseason poll. So it just poor becomes <laughs> poor, poor old little Texas. What have they ever done? How are they ever going to prevail? So it's going to be a fun season, boss. I mean, you look at it. The offense, so much of that returns that, yes, you're replacing Haley Lee. Yes, you're replacing Grace Lyons. Grace's power took a little bit of a dip last year. Um, Sydney Sanders really came on strong in the second half of the year. So you feel like that's going to kind of be the trade-off there. You still got Kinsey Hansen behind the dish. You're still going to have Alyssa Brito, who talk about uh, have-nots. Texas feels like a have-not every time Alyssa Brito's in the box because she hates them for some reason, uh, just purely off of results by home runs. Uh, you got Alina Torres, Riley Boone, Jada Coleman. Really, the question is just going to be if Brito comes in and plays short and Torres plays third, which would be my guess, then you're just looking for a right fielder pretty much. And then what is Nicole May and Kelly Maxwell going to look like as kind of your, your co-aces for the Sooners yeah. on a pretty deep pitching staff that also includes Kirsten Deal and then a, a pair of transfers in graduate transfer from Liberty, Carly Keeney, who Patty Gesso hasn't got to see pitch competitively yet. And then Peyton Monticelli that came in from Wisconsin, who I believe she comes in as a junior. I'll have to double check that. I think she has two years of eligibility left, including this season. That's uh, You mentioned one of the players I wanted to ask you about, and we'll close it out with this. Um, seven All-Big 12 first team, All-Big 12 players. Uh, Nicole May and Kelly Maxwell are the pitchers. Riley Boone in the outfield. Uh, Jada Coleman in the outfield. Tiara Jennings on the infield. Alyssa Brito in the infield. And behind the plate, Kenzie Hansen. That's your all-Big 12 team. It's also your Oklahoma starting lineup, basically, which is hilarious to me. But I want to ask you about Kelly Maxwell. Trace Ford, defensive end, comes to Oklahoma, starts, makes 16 tackles, three-and-a-half tackles for loss. I think he had a one-quarterback sack. I can't remember. Interception um, against, was it Tulsa? Anyway, one of the early non-conference games. He broke up three passes. He had four quarterback hurries. Lexi Keys on the women's basketball team transfers from Oklahoma State to Oklahoma. She's starting. She's averaging eight points, three rebounds, three assists. What kind of year do you expect from Kelly Maxwell on this softball team as the co-ace with, uh, with Nicole May? A dang good one. A really good year, frankly. First off, Kelly's a lefty, and Patty Gasso and Jen Rocha love them some lefties. So Kelly Maxwell and, and uh, Kirsten Deal, that'll be your left-handed duo. And Patty really loves to be able to go Nicole May righty, Kelly Maxwell lefty, be able to, to dice that up. What Two things that we haven't seen out of Kelly Maxwell that I'm really, really interested to see. First off, Jen Rocha has had a ton of success taking graduate transfers 
and taken their game to another level. Now you saw that with Hope Troutwine, and you might say, okay, Ryan, Hope Troutwine came in from North Texas to Oklahoma. You could understand how Hope might have been a little bit more raw, and that, that makes it easier to refine. Well, Alex Straco came in last year as a uh, Big Ten Pitcher of the Year the year before when she was just an absolute iron woman with how many uh, innings she pitched, and Jen Rocha helped Alex Straco take her level to another game. So we talked about it on the softball show. Again, just search All Sooner Softball Show, either if you want to see it at the website or on YouTube. And I, I flashed up there, Hey, Kelly Maxwell at the Women's College World Series against the elite of the elite in three years, uh, a 2.5-ish, so I don't remember the exact number, ERA, that'll that'll do with the defense she's going to have and the bat she's going to have behind her. 50 strikeouts, 5-0 strikeouts, and that includes two years ago when she was just sensational. And so for, for both May and Maxwell, the big uh, – criticism is probably putting it too strongly of a word, but the, the thing they want to key in and hone in on is less free passes. Limit that. We saw Nicole May every year. Her walks have come down, 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 down. For Maxwell, it's just when she gets in a little bit of trouble, you, you want to see those free passes come down. Because for Maxwell, it, it feels like it's big innings that she kind of gives up. It's not just the solo shot. It's kind of she puts two on and then the meltdown happens. But – I was talking with Alex Straco, who gets to do some fun stuff with Alex Straco over at the franchise as well. Um, she was talking about one of the big conversations that she was able to have coming in is you get to pitch differently when you have a Patty Gasso defense behind you because you can be more aggressive knowing if I miss my spot a little bit, as long as it's not out of the park, Jada Coleman and Riley Boone cover the earth. So you you can be more aggressive. I'm excited to see what that looks like with Kelly Maxwell because she's going to be able to attack with a different kind of mentality than she's ever had. Not that, um, and frankly, OSU's defense is bad. It cost them a Women's College World Series champ series appearance two years ago um, against Texas because they should have won that game, and, and you saw the outfield errors in Oklahoma City. That doesn't happen with Patty Gasso teams, and that should free Kelly Maxwell up a great deal. So I don't really know what expectation to put on how high could the ceiling be because – we're going to see a different edge we haven't got to see from her before uh, as she's pitching in Norman. I wouldn't say as long as it's in the park with Jada Coleman. She's been known to go outside the park and bring the ball back. As long as it's within five yards of the uh, <laughs> on the other side of the outfield wall, then, you, then you're good, probably. Yeah, she's she can catch a ball or two. <laughs> she can. Uh, I, I know where Billy Bowman learned how to track things down. It's, yeah. it's, you watch Jada. Yeah, he's – He's inspired by greatness. I met her dad in the airport on the way back from San Antonio. Cool guy. Cool guy. Uh, it's a was, it's a cool family. And and as all OU softball fans know, do not help her. Do not help <laughs> do her. Do not help her. <laughs> it's yeah, gonna be weird. It's we're that's like the uncle, by the way. That's not her dad. Yeah, we're like two weeks away from hearing that on yep. the flow softball streams. And again, I'm very excited. You guys know I softball season is my favorite time. Like I love college football. I love college softball and everything that comes with it. Uh, but it is a little overwhelming to be like February eighth. Here you go. It's back. Yeah. Um, real quick for you, Jada's dad. She, she was tired, sitting by her mom. Her mom was. They were like you know catching the forty winks, and her dad was standing up with his phone plugged in, watching softball highlights. <laughs> I think I'll a lot like, of OU fans are watching softball highlights after that Alamo ball. 
Yeah, probably so. Hey, it's softball season. All right, Ryan, I'll cut you loose, man. Thanks for hanging on. Absolutely. We'll see you. All right, coming up next, Camp Randall. He's going to jump on. We're going to talk about OU's big junior day coming up this weekend, plus an incredible amount of offers. Wow. Brent Venable's been busy. We'll tell you all about it next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise, and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. All right, final segment of the All Sooners podcast. This is where I remind you, please like us on social media. Like us, drop us a five-star rating if you're on your podcast platform. Um, share us on social media. And if you're on the YouTube, John Hoover Media, like, subscribe. Scri- subscribing is really big. I need you guys to subscribe to the channel. Do that for me right now. We'll pause. I'll push pause right here. Okay, and we're back because you subscribed. I appreciate it. Uh, leave us a comment. If you want to advertise with us, just drop me an email at allsoonerssi at gmail.com, allsoonerssi at gmail.com, or just DM me on Twitter. I'll hook you up. Uh, Randall's joined us. Camp Randall is here, and he's going to be um, in Norman, I'm assuming, this weekend, probably, possibly, hopefully, uh, at uh, Oklahoma's Junior Day. It's Saturday in Norman. Big day for Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a ton of high-profile guys there, a ton of guys that OU is really, really hot on the trail for in that 2025 class. And then, of course, some guys who are you know already committed to OU in 2025. Now, you know, to, just to kind of jump in and touch on some of those guys, five-star wide receiver Caleb Cunningham from uh, Choctaw County, Georgia, uh, obviously a big-time wide receiver recruit. I think he's the 13th overall player in the country, depending on what service you look at, one of the top three receivers in the nation you know, really a big time guy that, I mean, obviously Oklahoma and everyone else in the country is after. Um, if you can get him on top of the three, four star wide receivers that they all already got in that 2025 class, I mean, that would be huge for the Sooners. And the fact that he's coming all the way from Georgia to Norman, I think that's a really good sign. Um, another five star uh, that's going to be there is Jonah Williams from Galveston Ball High School, uh, six foot three, 200 pound safety, which I mean, you have to love the size already as a junior in high school uh, for a safety product. That'll definitely play in the SEC. Uh, he's got the body type and really the, the physicality and the play style to play that cheetah position, uh, you know, that Brent Venables covets so much. And that's a guy that all Sooners is uh, planning on talking to soon. So, you know, stay locked in with our website. Uh, we'll, we'll have something coming there soon. And I think that um, another guy that uh, OU is really, really hard on the trail after, uh, again, you know, I mentioned Williams being from Galveston. Another guy to the Houston area, Max Granville from Fort Bend Christian Academy, um, a four-star defensive lineman, one of the top 100 players, top 10 defensive linemen in the country. 
guy that Oklahoma would really, really love to have. I know that they've uh, they've been out to that that part of uh, Texas to visit him um, in their recent travels. And this is a guy that put OU in his top 10 uh, within the past month. Again, someone that I know OU is really, really hot on the trail for, someone that they really are going hard after. But obviously, they've got their work cut out for them, one of the top defensive line prospects in the country. He's got suitors from Alabama, Georgia, all over the place. Uh, and, and again, uh, a lot of commits in that 2025 class will be there. The Carl Albert crew, which is you know consisting of Kevin Sperry, uh, Trinae Washington, Marcus James, who are all committed in that 2025 class. I would assume that their teammate Tristan Haynes, uh, who recently visited Missouri, also holds offers from Alabama, other places around the country. A four-star corner that OU is really uh, pursuing heavily. I, I would also assume that he'll be there, so that's another good sign uh, for the Sooners to get him and his teammates up on a visit. Um, and then I think, you know, just looking down the list, Kamori Moore, a guy that uh, we're also planning to talk to very soon at all Sooners. I think that uh, from, from Lee Summit North, I think that he'll be there in attendance. And then another guy that, that OU uh, is after on the trail on that defensive line, another guy from the Houston area, seems like uh, in this 2025 class, OU is recruiting really heavily out of, you know, East Texas, uh, the Houston area. Uh, Landon Rink from SciFair High School, another guy uh, that Brent Venables and company have been out to see uh, on their recent visits. Uh, this is a guy who plays kind of a, a tweener position on the defensive line. Uh, he's not as tall, not as long, but he's really stout, really physical. Um, and, and another four-star recruit that's got um, a lot of offers from schools around the country. So these are all guys, uh, the non-committed guys that OU is going to have to battle for. But getting them up to campus uh, in the middle of January, or I guess the end of January, uh, when they're juniors, I think that's a really good sign for the Sooners. And I think that the Sooners were already in good standing with all those guys that I just mentioned. Yeah, you mentioned Venables uh, out visiting and, and offering. Dude offered like a million kids this week. Felt like it. It wasn't a million. It yeah. was maybe half a million. Uh, including a couple of 2026 quarterbacks. They finally got off the stick and uh, are offering some quarterbacks in the 2026 class. So these are guys who just finished their high school sophomore season. Yeah, and, and you know, we, we talked about it um, a few months ago, during the season even, that it was kind of um, – uh, interesting that the Sooners hadn't offered a 2026 quarterback yet. A lot of other schools were already making those offers. Some of them already, some other schools already have commits from quarterbacks in that 2026 class. And I think it was you that, that mentioned, is that maybe because Jeff Levy is planning on taking another job? Well, uh, we don't know if that's the sole reason why, but that did end up uh, coming to fruition. So I'd assume that that played a big part in it. With Seth Luttrell and company now taking over, they have uh, like you mentioned, taking that mantle of offering the quarterbacks. The first quarterback that OU offered in the 2026 class, Jared Curtis, who uh, the number one player in the country, depending on what service you look at, in 2026. Big, big quarterback, uh, 6'4", 220 pounds already, I think. So you mentioned he just finished his sophomore season. That's a big kid. Uh, you watch watch him play, and uh, he's got really the modern quarterback. He's kind of got all those traits that you imagine in a five-star modern quarterback. He's mobile enough, uh, runs the ball well. Uh, scrambles really well in the pocket, can can release from a bunch of different arm angles and can release the ball really well on the run, a lot of arm strength. Uh, that, I think that's probably the, the the thing that really pops off the screen when you watch is just that he's got a cannon, which you'd expect for a guy who's as, as big as he is at that young of an age. Um, but he, he kind of mentioned um, right after you offered that South Carolina, that uh, Alabama, that Oklahoma, some other schools were, were in um, the ones that interested him the most. I really thought that that was interesting that, you know, just a day after he got that OU offer, he mentioned them as as one of the schools that um, that really piques his interest. And again, with the history of quarterbacks at Oklahoma, with Seth Luttrell's uh, history of quarterback production at his previous schools, 
uh, it, it does kind of make sense, but I think that that's a good sign for the Sooners that um, he's already mentioning them amongst his top schools with, you know, places like South Carolina, Tennessee, where he's from, Georgia, Alabama, you know, these perennial powerhouses. The second guy they offered came literally just a day later, kind of a similar part of the country uh, from Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, and that's Faison. I believe I'm saying his first name correctly. Faison Brandon. Uh, no, he's another another bigger guy, six foot four, around 190, 195 pounds. So not quite as heavy, but still really tall, um, long arms. Um, got the height that that you you know imagine on some of those highly rated quarterbacks. He's not the number one prospect in the country like Jared Curtis, but he's a top seventy five prospect, top six seven quarterback in the nation. Um, so again, a very very highly uh, recruited guy. I think he's already got thirteen fourteen offers, um, even though he did just finish his. Uh, his sophomore season. And this is, this is another guy who's got great mobility. He's a really, really good athlete. He plays basketball too. I, I think I mentioned in the story, his last basketball game, he scored like 20 points, eight rebounds, two blocks. So very, very good athlete. He can do it on the court and on the field, which, um, you know, I think that's really good to see uh, that like cross sport athleticism that usually translates well uh, when you're playing in college. Um, and, and again, this, a, a guy that so far he's got some decent offers, but uh, I don't think when you look at the programs that have offered him so far, they have quite the recent history of success at the quarterback position that Oklahoma does, which not many schools do, frankly. Um, and so I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see where things uh, land with him. Uh, he's got visits lined up, I know, to um, Duke, Florida State, uh, some other schools, again, in that area. Uh, he's from North Carolina, so I know UNC uh, is one that's already offered him too. But uh, it'll be really interesting to see how um, OU continues to pursue both of those guys. Again, two guys who really look like and play like the modern quarterback where they've got a lot of mobility. Uh, they can throw on the run. Uh, they can release from different arm angles. And again, just big arms in general. Yeah. I look forward to seeing how that uh, 26 class evolves quarterback wise, because the quarterback is the point guard for your recruiting efforts. The rest of the class or usually is should be, can be needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's the deal, Randall. Um, Oklahoma's out there offering a bunch of dudes. Um, none of those dudes are going to be able to play in 2024, but just saying they better, they better land some of these, these, uh, these dudes, these dogs, these hosses, because they're not getting anything. This is a weird way to say it. They're not getting anything from the transfer portal since January started. Um, the numbers are okay. So let, let's just put it in context. Alabama had a coaching change. Washington had a coaching change. Arizona had a coaching change. Okay, Alabama, I saw 10 guys portal since Nick Saban retired. All right, 10 guys from Alabama portal. And we're talking guys like Caleb Downs, Caden Proctor, uh, Isaiah Bond, Julian Sand, the five-star quarterback. Zero went to Oklahoma. Uh, Washington, since Kalen DeBoer left. 13 guys since Christmas, really. 13 guys have portaled from Washington. How many went to Oklahoma? Zero went to Oklahoma and uh, Arizona, right? Who beat OU in the bowl game just since uh, just since the coaching staff change, right? They've lost 15 guys. Now a lot of those went to to Washington, obviously with Jed Fish. Um, a, a handful are like uh, lower division guys, FCS guys, uh, group of five guys, stuff like that. But zero. Of those 15 that left since Fish left have gone to Oklahoma. There are opportunities out there, and I keep getting the question from the fan base, Randall. I keep getting the question from the fan base. Why is Oklahoma not getting any of these guys? Not getting, not all of them, 
any of them. What's, what do you think's going on there? Yeah, I, I do think that's really interesting. Um, you know, Oklahoma has kind of already um, made they did make some additions through the transfer portal in December. Yeah. You kind of have to wonder if um, they are thinking, all right, we got the guy. We like the guys we have and we're ready to yeah. roll in the spring ball uh, with those guys. You know, we don't we don't really want to take on. Uh, and, and, you know, Venables did kind of have a um, an interesting mindset about, um, you know, going after uh, his former players whenever he left Clemson. And um, so so there might be some of that in there that he doesn't want to recruit guys in the, in the middle of this coaching change. But you mentioned, I mean, a guy like Caden Proctor, a guy like Caleb Downs, those guys could have probably helped OU immediately, like next season, right now. I mean, those are, those are two players that, I mean, Oklahoma needs guys on the offensive line and at the cornerback position. And I think that those are two guys that are obviously very talented that, you know, you, you can slide in now. Um, you know, maybe some of these guys aren't personality fits. You know, there, there's multiple things. Of course, uh, in DeBoer's situation, when he's going to Alabama, you have to imagine that some of those guys are going to take a, a side look at Alabama, of course, to go play with their former head coach. But I do think it's very curious. You know, I think um, the, the one thing that sticks out to me is not Oklahoma not grabbing some of these offensive linemen that have transferred, whether it be from Washington or from Alabama. Uh, of course, there's been whispers about some of these guys, uh, some of the Washington players specifically, maybe visiting Norman. But I do think that um, that maybe Oklahoma um, could have could have used uh, some of those offensive linemen next season, at least if if not to earn many snaps, at least for depth, at least to go in and push some of these guys that are more unproven that you might have to roll with on the offensive line next season. Yeah. Um, so, so I mean, of course, uh, you know, Caden Proctor. Uh, the, the video came out about him talking about, oh, when I was down in the SEC, Iowa hit me up. And so who knows what's going on there? There's might be obviously Iowa has their own success with offensive linemen, too. But a guy like that, again, some of the guys from Washington, I think um, Braille, Parker Brailsford is one that, that comes to mind. You know, some of those guys are, are guys that you have to just look and think that someone that could have helped OU. And, and again, it's not like the, they have a longer, they do have a longer transfer window now that their coaches changed. I think that extends the window by what, 30 days. And so, days. so it's, it's you, it's not anything against NCAA rules. You still have the ability to go out and get them. And maybe, maybe it is just as simple as Oklahoma swinging and missing. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't think it's a reason to panic. Uh, it, it might be a little bit, but not, I think that would be um, foolish and here's why the spring transfer portal window is open from April 16th to April 30th. Uh, OU spring game is April 20th. All right. So April 20th needs to be a big recruiting weekend for Oklahoma potential portal guys. You go out and you, you know, you sift through the portal and you find out who's in it, who wants to get in it, who might get in it. Uh, no tampering, of course, but uh, you find that you find those guys, you get those invitations out and you say April 20th, you come to Oklahoma and we're going to blow your socks off because it's the spring game and it's what we do. That's what Brent Venables needs to like he has the first two years. Just approach it like this is our spring Super Bowl. You're going to come. You're going to be a guest. We're going to wine you and dine you and blow you away and wait till you see all the NFL guys and wait till you see 50,000 fans in the stands and wait till you see our offense and wait till you see our defense needs to be a huge recruiting weekend and then they need to land some of those guys not bodies they need to land some players let's talk about some of the positions that they need to land i still say they they fulfilled some of their needs at tight end obviously with roberts coming in uh bauer sharp coming in um so so you you've moved in that direction you're getting some guys that you think can help you offensive line you're still way short defensive line you can always use more numbers on defensive line 
cornerback. I think it showed last year that you need more help at corner. And it, you know what? If you can get a difference maker at linebacker, I like the linebackers they have. I like the talent, the experience, the playmaking, all that stuff. But if you can get a former five-star or a starter from Alabama or something, you know, whoever's in the portal, whoever you like when you – has to be a difference maker. Those are my those are my votes for the positions that Oklahoma needs to upgrade. Uh, in the second – what did I say? April 16th through the 30th, the second spring window. Yeah, and, and you know, you, you mentioned a game-changing linebacker, someone like that, you know, a former high recruit. You know, you have to think a guy like Kendrick Blackshire from Duncanville who transferred from Alabama and just went to Texas. You have to think that that's yeah. the type of guy that would have filled that role another guy that OU was not able to bring in. And again, maybe it's because they like the linebackers they have, but I'm with you on that. Um, adding one of those guys to to play next to Danny Stutzman potentially, or at least to just say, look, whoever else is going to go earn that, whoever else is going to play next to Danny Stutzman has to earn that job. They have to beat out, you know, name off the guy. Um, but I, I agree with you. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think that um, adding another linebacker would, would be good. I think that Corner is probably the the biggest need that screams out to me along and on offensive line, of course, which I mentioned just a second ago. But I mean, when Gentry Williams was hurt, which seemed like it was pretty often this season, uh, that second corner spot behind him uh, was pretty shaky, and it was often going to a guy who was really young. Um, you know, a true freshman like a Josiah Wagner, like a Makari Vickers, like a, J- a Jacoby Johnson, and you know, you love to get those young freshman reps, and, and they and they didn't do badly. But next year, when you're playing in the SEC, you just cannot go into that with uh, facing the receivers, the quarterbacks, the coaches that you're going to face with true freshmen or guys who played a couple snaps last year lined up against future NFL players at wide receiver. It's not going to end well. Um, and, and and I think on the offensive line, it's the same thing where you can't have guys who were redshirting this year, uh, taking probably ready to take starter, full-time starter snaps against future NFL defensive linemen, guys that are probably going to be top five, top 10 picks. I mean, teams like Alabama, teams like Georgia, I mean, even you know, the other schools, South Carolina, Tennessee, Auburn, those programs will churn out players like that. Or or if they don't churn them out, they'll have them every once in a while. The, you will play those talented defensive linemen in the SEC. And if you don't have uh, the guys up front to deal with that, it's going to be a long, long day uh, every weekend for Jackson Arnold, who's another young guy. He needs uh, all the help he can get staying upright, keeping him healthy. We saw in um, the bowl game when that rush got to him, uh, kind of what it did to, to his play style, how it affected him. And so I think that that's really something you have to to, to shore up, especially the interior of the offensive line. I think that um, with Sexton coming back, you've probably got one of your tackles. Uh, maybe Spencer Brown's the other answer there for Michigan State. The interior, I mean, center, those two guard positions, That's you lost all three of those guys. You know, that's where you really, really need to to rebuild, in my opinion. And and I know that they also have added Sam Franklin at running back, but I still think if you can get a guy who's maybe uh, just a speed threat or some kind of home run threat out of the backfield, that, that that could help you too. Yeah, on the offensive line, you're talking about Fabechi Nuiwu from North Texas. You're talking about Michael Tarquin, who was a starter at Florida and USC, um, Those, as well as Spencer Brown. Those those are guys that have you can't miss. You cannot if if you're just bringing in three, you got to hit three home runs. Mm-hmm. Um, DBs, you know, Des Malone is one. Jocelyn Malaska is another. Same thing. Um, you've got enough depth at that position at the defensive back position. And I don't know cornerback versus safety. I don't know which one those guys tend toward. But if you're only bringing in two, they have to be in the two deep. Because you've got, like I said, you've got starting depth, you've got um, established 
experience there at the safety position and the nickel position and whatnot. And at the corner position, you've, you've uh, laid down, you know, kind of a foundation for what you want the cornerback to look like over the next few years. You know, thankfully Woody Washington came back for, for your uh, experience purposes there, but you're only bringing in two. Those got you. That can't be a deal where uh, he's not good enough to play. He's not ready to play, you know, like a junior college transfer or something. Those guys have to hit. And, and, you know, um, Oh, sorry. And, and then another one that I like is uh, Caden Woolard, the uh, defensive end from Miami, Ohio. Um, holy cow! This uh, he's kind of my dark horse in this transfer class as of right now for uh, stepping in and taking reps from somebody who you wouldn't expect him to take reps from. Yeah, it seems like uh, we'll just start on Woolard. It seems like he'd kind of be maybe not the similar like play style, but just a similar role of a Rondell Bothroyd, who was kind of the veteran who'd had production at his previous school, steps in, and, and he just kind of does exactly what, what you'd expect, plays a lot, um, does his job at that defensive line position. I could definitely see Caden Wooler doing that. And again, you mentioned that you can never have too many defensive linemen, especially in the SEC. You need uh, countless bodies, and not countless bodies, but countless bodies that are good enough to earn reps on the field to throw at these offensive linemen. Because again, they're going to be big, physical, talented guys up there. You got to have different options to throw at them. I think Caden Woolard, especially with you know some of the young, athletic guys that they have at the edge position, I think he's a really good uh, change of pace guy to throw in there. Um, again, uh, with him and Ethan Downs, that's two really experienced guys. Uh, you know, we, we kind of keep talking about that, but those are two really experienced guys at the, on the edges. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned the defensive backs, Des Malone uh, and Justin Malaska. You know, Malaska is interesting, too, because you're even adding him to the team as a walk-on. And so so this is a guy that, you know, if you are expecting him to contribute, that's, you know, a guy who's not – that's kind of a similar to a Toby Walker situation where it's like, okay, he can contribute. Is that the guy that you want to be, you know, your starter, your star? Um, and so so it'll be – I think that'll be really interesting. Like you mentioned, Des Malone is very experienced, and so I think that, you know, maybe if you can throw him on the other side of Woody Washington when Gentry Williams is out or even when you need to spell Woody Washington if that's the guy you turn to, that'll be really interesting. And you mentioned, you know, it has to be someone who's ready to come in. And, and you know, a guy like Kendall Dolby last season, that was a guy who came in ready to compete, earned a lot of playing time, and made a lot of big plays for OU's defense. You have to have some of these guys make a similar impact in their first year. And, I mean, I think from what we saw last year, there's a, there's reason to be encouraged by that because that that transfer class that Venables brought in last year, a lot of those guys did play a lot and made a lot of an impact. And some of those guys liked it so much they even came back. DeJon Terry, Trace Ford, you know, come to mind. And so um, I think that you have to hope that Brent Venables and company uh, have, has the same success in this transfer class that they did last year. A couple of quick transfer numbers that I found interesting um, that I just want to throw out to you before we move on. Uh, Louisville, la- these are as of last count. I don't know what today's number is, but Louisville brought in 26 transfers. <laughs> Colorado brought in 23. Texas A&M brought in 23. South Carolina brought in 20. Now, those those programs obviously have a little work to do. Uh, Ohio- uh, Texas and Ohio State, get this. Ohio State brought in six. Texas brought in seven. It tells you right there. They're pretty satisfied with what they've got coming back. They're not uh, having to – not that they're above the transfer portal or anything like that, but they just – this year they don't really need the transfer portal. And, I, I and fascinating. those guys that they added are big-time guys too, oh, whether yeah. they're former five-star recruits or guys who have had a lot of production at their former school. A&M – or not A&M, Ohio State and Texas both added some big-time players uh, through the transfer portal, even though their numbers weren't very big. Exactly, exactly. So – a uh, couple of guys that are uh, back in Norman, 
after uh, spending a week in uh, Honolulu. Um, Randall didn't get to go to Honolulu this year. Maybe <laughs> next year. Maybe. Fingers, Fingers crossed. crossed. <laughs> Uh, but uh, David Stone and um, Jalen ja Jackson are back from the Polynesian Bowl. Here's the latest on David Stone. Uh, rivals ranked him as the number one defensive tackle in the country. It's been a long time since Oklahoma landed the number one <laughs> defensive tackle in the country. And he is – I asked Switzer a few years ago. Uh, I think it was after Kansas State came to town in 2010 and beat OU, pushed him kind of line of scrimmage-wise, pushed him up and down the field. It was a close game, but you know you could tell who the more physical team was. It was Kansas State, and I asked Switzer that the, the following Monday, Coach, what do you think? What's going on with Oklahoma? Why why are they losing these games? And he said they don't have any Tommy Harris's. They don't have any Gerald McCoy's. Gerald McCoy had just graduated, of course, but that was his. It might have been 2012. Now that I think about it, because Gerald was in the 2010 draft class. Anyway, um. His, his whole thing was they need a Leroy Selman. They need somebody who can stick their hand in the dirt and knock the hell out of the guy in front of him and get in the backfield and just wreck everybody's day. That's what Barry Switzer told me years ago. This feels like the first guy, David Stone, that fits that category. Here we are more than a decade later, and we're just getting to somebody like David Stone. And I'll give you this. He's rivals number one defensive tackle, number five overall player, and Randall? I'm not sure he was the best player on his team. The best. I'm not sure he was the best defensive tackle on his team. At IMG, the defensive player of the year at IMG was Jaden Jackson. The most valuable player, defensive player of the Polynesian Bowl was Jaden Jackson. Jaden Jackson is so undersold. I'm not saying he's better than David Stone. I'm not saying he's not. I'm just saying he is so undervalued when it comes to landing both of those guys to play next to each other for three or four years. Oh, absolutely. Jaden Jackson is a playmaker. There is no doubt about that. And if if you want to go see, go watch his high school tape. Everything, you know, a lot of times defensive tackles, it's, you know, them stuffing the play. It's them, you know, kind of pushing their guy back. Jaden Jackson's film is him making plays. It's blowing guys up in the backfield. It's destroying quarterbacks. It's slipping blocks. I mean, his, his highlight tape is exciting. It shows that he's explosive. And I think that, you know, when we talked about um, OU's signing class, I, I think that I said that that was my sleeper. That was my most underrated guy in the class, in my opinion. I, I still I still would, would go with him. I think that he's going to be a really, really good player for Oklahoma. Like you mentioned, getting him and David Stone together, two teammates, two guys who uh, seem to have a really good work ethic, who are already great players, that's going to be huge for the future of this interior defensive line. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned that, even back in 2012, you could see they don't have anyone who can go and knock a guy backwards who can ruin his day. I saw David Stone do that in person at the All-American game. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, again, if he's doing it against All-Americans, you, you have to be confident that uh, once he gets to Oklahoma, works hard, gets some of that coaching, uh, that, that he'll be good to go. And again, uh, if you if you watch my interview with him from the All-American game, then you can see that he really cares. His work ethic is really uh, impressive. He told me all about that. Uh, so definitely go check that video out if you haven't seen it. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, between the two of them, once they get to Norman that's heading into the SEC, that's the type of interior defensive line you need. And again, with Danny Okoye, with Nigel Smith on the outside of those two guys in that 2024 class, that whole defensive front is the type of defensive front you need heading into the SEC. Those are all really, really uh, talented defensive linemen. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching them play. Good stuff, Randall. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks, Oof. Hey, thank y'all for listening to, as you know, we'll be back next week on the All Sooners podcast. You can get that podcast wherever 
you listen to your podcast. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. She'll hook you up. It's also posted on our website, theallsooners.com website. Just click on the player and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. I'll get the thing posted in ASAP this afternoon. All of our shows, of course, are posted on my YouTube channel as well. That's John Hoover Media. Check that out. For Ryan Chapman and Randall Sweet, I'm John Hoover. See you guys.